0: Hi, I'm Ryan Flaherty, Nike Senior Director of Performance. For two years, I've been making this podcast, talking to experts in every aspect of training, both mental and physical. This season, with all of our lives turned upside down by the coronavirus, I'm calling up some of those same experts, and ones you haven't heard from yet, to find out how they're staying strong while staying home, and how we can do the same. You're listening to Trained at Home.
1: In this acute period where we're all feeling the fight or flight response, we're feeling worry, we're maybe not sleeping well. I think the way to frame this is that not only is stress a normal response, the name of the game here is not minimizing it, it's optimizing it.
0: That's psychologist Angela Duckworth, talking about how stress can sometimes help us adapt to difficult situations. I think that's something we all need to hear right now when people in our lives or in the media might be telling us we shouldn't stress about it. Sometimes, we need to listen when our minds tell us things aren't okay. Acknowledging a difficult situation, paradoxically, can sometimes help us to stay strong and to get through it. Angela Duckworth has spent her entire career studying how people get through it. She believes it takes a combination of passion and perseverance that she calls grit, which is also the name of her New York Times bestseller. I've interviewed her before, back in Season 2, because I think her research and writing are essential for athletes of any level. But over the last few weeks, I've been reminded that it's essential for everyone. Grit can be learned. And I think Angela might have a little advice on how to learn it. Hey, Angela, thank you for jumping on the call with us today Look, we're in a extraordinary time and what makes it so extraordinary too is the entire world is in the same boat, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you. So again, thank you. Uh
1: it's great to be here and um I I guess I say, so, are you in your closet?
0: <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I know. Video chat, I think so we I should pa- this, yeah. paint this picture for people, but um I have uh, blankets kind of surrounding the closet to dampen the, the sound my one and a half year old is screaming probably out there yelling or dropping stuff you know so we have to keep it quiet so yeah I'm inside of my closet where are you recording from
1: uh, much more comfortable I'm in my home office but um, like so many of us in this world like we're, we're not where we usually would be I would usually be of course at my university office but I'm happy to be talking to you from here
0: yeah same
1: well, I want to double click on um, something you just said in the introductory remarks about how we're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. And I think that has made this unprecedented crisis so much easier to actually to manage um, as hmm. as individuals. And 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 here's why I, get, I mean, can you imagine if the uncertainty and the. Um, uh, and the economic troubles. And like, if it were just, you know, if just happening to you or just happening to a few people at a time, like it is happening to everyone. And there's this study that I read, um, It's really old research study. It was done at West Point, And I think it was maybe more than 30 or 40 years old. But there were scientists who were interested in stress during training, like the first summer of training Beast Barracks. And, you know, this is incredibly, str- you know, you wake up at five, you train till midnight. There's a significant number of your or roommates who won't make it through. You're being yelled at all day, and um, the scientists were really surprised that stress levels didn't go up much. And they speculated it was because all of the cadets were going through the stress together. And I think if wow. we can hold on to that, right? Like, yeah, this is crazy, but it's not just that I don't know what's going to happen. None of us know. And and anyway, I, I I do think human beings are better together than than we are alone. So I, I have some challenges, Absolutely. but I think I'm I'm trying to keep that. That in mind also
0: I think for a lot of people it's caused us all to slow down to, to see what's going on and to really increase our empathy for the rest of the world who may be having it a lot worse than we, we might. You know, there's people losing jobs. There's people whose family members are are sick or are dying. And, and, you know, for those of us that still have a job or still are safe and healthy, like you just look and with with such empathy and also to like the hospital workers and the people who, you know, at the grocery stores that are still like braving through this, you're really, I don't know. I, it's just been an amazing time. I think there's some really amazing things that have been coming out of this. Angela, one thing I want to ask, you know, we had you on season two and I think I've recommended your book grit to about 17 million people. So I I hope people have at least heard of your work and you. Um, But for those that have not yet, can you just give a quick background on grit and the work you've done there? And then I wanted to kind of get into a little bit of how that can potentially play into people, you know, helping them through what we're going through right now.
1: As a psychologist, I specialize in studying high achievers. So people who are outliers, people who are extraordinary at what they do. And that could mean being a three-star Michelin chef or a gold medal Olympic athlete or a Nobel Prize economist. And I'm always asking the question, what do these people have in common? And one of the characteristics, one of the character strengths that these extraordinary individuals have in common is a combination of passion and and perseverance that I call grit. And the essential quality of grit is stamina. I mean, it's not about being really excited about something and working hard for a day or even pulling, you know, three all-nighters. Gritty individuals who do end up being at the upper echelons of, of what they practice for a living. They are in there for the long game. So when they have an interest, it's not just for a short period, but it can be decades or even a lifetime and they're obsessed about what they do, but they don't they don't get obsessed for really short periods. They get obsessed for long ones. And then the perseverance part of grit is, you know, being that dedicated, disciplined person who who trains consistently, not just like, oh, it was the hardest working athlete I had for two days, but no, like wow, I'm right. really, you know, stunned by how consistent this person is, especially during times of adversity.
0: No doubt. The athletes I've worked with, the ones that are, you know, widely recognized as the best in the world have this in spades. I mean, it stands out.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I talk to NFL and NBA coaches, you know, there is not a single coach or scout in any league who isn't looking for this. They're they're like, give me that player who is going to like be curious about this and like interested and engaged and committed and to have that motivation be like a constant and, you know, first to practice this last to leave and just eager, eager, eager to like learn and improve. All of the coaches and managers that I've talked to are, are looking for grit.
0: Absolutely. And for the past 15 years working with athletes, I've had some athletes who, who were hands down the most talented football players, basketball players I've ever seen. And that were, most of the best athletes would recognize those are the mo- that was the most talented quarterback to ever walk the face of the planet that only played two years in the NFL. And then others who were not looked at the most talented, maybe top 1,000 in terms of talent in their specific position and are the, looked at today as the best were the MVP in the league. And it it came down to grit. You couldn't really point to anything other than grit. That's one thing for a lot of people listening is it's, it's, yes, you have to have some level of talent in whatever you're doing. If your passion is, you know, marketing or writing or whatever, you have to have some level of talent, but truly it comes down to how hard you work on that and how long you do it. And it's something you can learn. I think that's the beauty of your work is it's a skill you can learn, not something that is you're born with it or not. You know, that's the beauty of it.
1: Yeah, I want to tell you that like, I have a grit scale, right? It's a questionnaire that I use in my research and it has questions about, you know, how hard you work and how consistent you are in your interests. But maybe the most predictive item on the whole grit scale is I finish whatever I begin and mm. and i really do think there's this bias to completion does that mean you always do literally no but when you don't finish it kind of kills you you're like mm-hmm. ah but i do think that champions um have uh, these mindsets and these skill sets that like you said they're not inaccessible to all of us you know things like height or like you know your fast muscle twitch fibers it's like well i'm sure if I have any advice about like how do you can change your height or the, like the, the composition of your muscle fibers naturally, but your skill sets and your mindsets are absolutely malleable.
0: Yeah. And that's something I think for a lot of people... I think there's such a focus now getting more and more to the mind than has than ever been before. I've I've noticed it personally. and it, So, you know, training athletes, like it used to be so much more about the physical or the nutrition. And, and there has now finally been this turn to where everyone is starting to really... And I, I would say, like, you, your work is a massive catalyst to this. Uh, you're too humble to accept that. But I think that's where... Like a lot of athletes are finally recognizing themselves, not just their coaches or trainers or the people around them telling them, but they are themselves recognizing the importance of mindset training and really focusing on it as a muscle, like they do their body to practice. And it's a daily practice and it's, they will work on that as much as they do everything else, but that's available for all of us. And, and, you know, I highly recommend everyone go take your test online or read your book because it's something that I think, regardless of where you come from, your background, you know, your talent level or your means, like you can develop your grit. And whatever you end up doing in life, you will see more success in it if you become more resilient and gritty. So how have you stayed motivated through this?
1: There's a technique in psychology where you teach people how to set goals and make plans. But one thing I'll just say right now is that uh, most plans don't work. So you might have had a, an idea or a plan for like how you're going to get your 10,000 steps in or how you're going to, you know, stay fit or how you're going to, you know, eat well even though you're trying to avoid going to the supermarket. And and my guess is that plan originally, the the one that sounded so good, it didn't work. And I think one of the things that people make a mistake about is that when a plan doesn't work, they just are like, "Oh, Okay, well, I guess I guess that didn't work. But really, what you need to do is say, well, most plans don't work. the The thing is that you have to like keep replanning, essentially, like prototyping a, a you know different thing. So my plans also didn't work. When I started this um, shelter in place, I was like, I'm gonna you know walk ten thousand steps a day, and then I didn't. And then like the next day, I was like, okay, I'm definitely walking ten thousand. And I didn't again. I'm mean, just You know, time became a blur. And so I really needed um, a plan. So I was like, okay, now my plan is I'm going to like wake up and I'm going to do it. And that didn't work. It was like, oh no, like basically had to make breakfast. And like, so I finally, after quite a few days, I figured out that like if I scheduled a walk with my husband, for six o'clock in the evening, which is after work call time, then maybe I would actually get better at this. And and now that plan finally works. So my recommendation is not only to set goals and make plans, but to be prepared to replan and replan and replan again until you find something that works.
0: Yeah, it's such a good lesson too. I talked to my athletes about being like practicing defensive pessimism in that way of like whatever you plan you set, plan for all the ways it could go wrong and then just have a plan for if it does. And don't, you know, stress out or judge yourself on if it doesn't go perfectly because 99.9% of the time it doesn't.
1: You are giving them exactly the right advice. Human beings are not very good at doing things where they have to be making decisions all the time about what to do. In fact, in daily life, and I'm talking about not even you know serious athletes, just like normal, just people, <laughs> the, at least 40%, maybe even half of behavior is completely routine, completely on autopilot. Like you just eat at the same time of day, you know, you exercise at the same time of day, you go to sleep around the same time, you brush your teeth when you wake up, and you don't have to think about it. Now, people have to recreate those routines because they've been disrupted. Like you can't work out where you used to work out. You can't go to eat where you used to eat. So, you're giving them exactly the right advice, which is they have to recreate those routines and and the key is that you have to recreate them not on the fly, but like the day before. I actually think that's the best advice you could give them. Like at dinner, the day before, take out a piece of paper and mm-hmm. write down in excruciating detail like by the minute like where and when you're going to do what. Um, and then the next day you have to execute, but you're not making decisions all day. And I, I think that advice is true, you know, whether you're a, an athlete who has relied a little bit on structure given to you by your team or your coach, etc. Um, or really anyone else.
0: You know, for people who don't stay at home a lot or, or that now find themselves in this situation, even like eating, you're, you know, I think people are finding themselves walking by and snacking. And and so the, their nutrition, the way they eat normally, that schedule is off. Their sleep schedule is off. Their kid's schedule. So everything seems to be off. But that doesn't mean you can't reinstitute a, a new schedule, one that fits for the life and lifestyle and circumstances we're in today. So that's good to know. That's the good, right thing to do.
1: We're. Creatures of our physical circumstances. And I think if you can, in a way, think about where each behavior is best. And for some people, for example, like doing any kind of work in the bedroom is like going to be a conflict with like then also trying to sleep in your bedroom. Right. So it's like, you know, think about like places where if you're snacking all day, right. I'm really lucky. My home office is two and a half flights of stairs up from the kitchen. So I'm not (laughs) snacking all day because it's like really far away. So you can be proactive about thinking about like even the limited physical space you have, like where's the best place to do things. And and so you're not only planning out your day in terms of the time, but you're also planning out your day in terms of the place.
0: Why is that? Why is that psychologically? Why is that helpful to have a specific area or space that you designate as that? That I do that over there. I do that here.
1: So one reason is that we're very sensitive to physical cues, right? So for example, some people are having trouble drinking water now that they're um, at home and, and just you know they're just not in their usual routines, and so you know they're getting dehydrated. It's like whatever. They were on one Zoom call after another, and like suddenly <laughs> it's two o'clock in the afternoon. So the, the solution to that is to create a physical cue to remind you. Uh, you know, put a water bottle. I mean, I have one in front of my computer now because that was there's a version of that that was happening to me. And now I have this water bottle. And like when I when I look at it, it reminds me that I'm supposed to drink. And by the way, it's only six inches away from my arm, which is good. So I think that we're very much animals that have been reliant for all of our lives on physical cues and reminders. I I feel like we're all like kids at the seashore and our sandcastles got washed away. And so we really have to rebuild them
0: one of the athletes who I talk to a lot, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I do a lot of mindset training with athletes. We do a lot of kind of like self-talk work, visualization, whatever. And I think he was saying, you know, we try to kind of work on reducing stress or anxiety in specific moments so we can perform, so we can be in the moment, be in the flow, you know, be present. But he's like, I'll be honest, like I'm really struggling with my anxiety right now. Like my stress and anxiety is, I'm having a hard time kind of keeping it under control. And, And I was telling him, you know, that actually that's not a bad thing like anxiety and stress you should feel anxious and stressed to be honest if you didn't I'd worry a little bit about you that that you were you know apathetic or something that you didn't have empathy for the world that that what we're going through
1: yeah. I mean, if you're not stressed, you're not human, right? I mean, that's mm. a quotable quote. It's true. <laughs> if you're not stressed, you're not human. <laughs> what is stress, right? Stress is a um, a hardwired human response. By hardwired, I just mean that we we were born with f- fight or flight response systems. It was through years of evolution, right? Generations and generations where like if you didn't have a stress response to threat, you would not survive. That's why we are able to run away from predators or um, in this current crisis, right, if you weren't stressed, you might not, you know, have started washing your hands for 20 seconds, right? If you were kind of like, oh, it's fine, you know, you wouldn't have taken measures like working from home. I mean, these are adaptive responses. And the fact that stress is a negative feeling is part of the reason why it works, right? So through through generations of evolution, we have a response to threat that makes us feel bad. I mean, that stress doesn't have the kind of same feeling as calm or joy, but that doesn't mean that it's not adaptive. And you're exactly right that when it gets extreme, like, you know, you're having panic attacks or when it is sustained for a really long time, right? I know this Feels like it's going on for a lot, but when when scientists talk about the effects of chronic stress, I mean they're usually talking about stress that can last for years. In this acute period where we're all feeling the fight or flight response, we're feeling worried, we're maybe not sleeping well. I think the way to frame this is that not only is stress a normal response, the name of the game here is not minimizing it, it's optimizing it. Um, and for this, I, I recommend you um, look at the research of Alia Crum at Stanford mm-hmm. University. And what she's discovered is that people have mindsets about stress. And one mindset is stress is debilitating And therefore, should be minimized, and the lower the better, right? That's a very popular view. There's an alternative view, which is stress can be enhancing, and that is to say that there is something adaptive about this response. And also, whenever there's a crisis, there is one guarantee, and that there is something to learn, right? There's there's no way any of us are going to get out of this without learning uh, really important lessons, uh, from the trivial to the really important. And I think um, I think she's exactly right about that. And I have when I read her research, I realized that, you know, the language I had been using about stress, like I'm trying to reduce it, like I'm feeling too stressed, was really revealing that I, you know, secretly had a little bit of the stress is always debilitating mindset. And since learning about that research, I've, I've really come around to believing that, you know, stress can be enhancing.
0: We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Angela will tell us how she's been coping with her own stress And give us tips on what we can all do to feel more in control of our bodies, minds, and happiness. Stick around. If you're enjoying this episode of Trained, here's some good news. You'll find more wellness expertise every day on Nike.com, the Nike app, the Nike Run Club app, and the Nike Training Club app. And in regions where NTC Premium is available, that's free now, too. You can learn more about movement, mindset, nutrition, recovery, and sleep and you can get started on a workout as soon as you finish this episode. I'd love for you just for a moment, for people at home right now that are, that are going through a really difficult times. So family members sick, parents sick, they're sick. They're really worried because of the feelings they're having based on their illness or they lost a job. What are some things that those people right now can do in the moment to help get a bit of the anxiety and stress under control yeah. and to start to kind of work through that a little bit?
1: there can't be very many people listening to this who don't have either themselves or a loved one experiencing, you know, something like, uh, you know, a health situation or, you know, for many, many people um, and many millions more than have a health problem, like a financial problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So you're you're right to ask this question. I think one of the things you can do, in addition to, first of all, accepting that you have stress, I mean, stress is stress. We don't need secondary stress, like feeling stressed about the fact that you're feeling stressed, (laughs) right? Like that's that we should all feel permission to to be um, anxious, I think that for me, it's been really helpful to use the physical, you know, to use the exercise, like to use the, you know, occasional deep breathing. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I do a big cat stretch. I mean, it's not even like yoga or anything. I'm just like in my bed. <laughs> but I like, you know, I, I start to like do a little child's pose um, and then I get out of bed. I'm, you know, taking those walks. I actually think that and especially with your audience, you know, people who have probably their whole lives learned to use exercise. And, you know, physical activity as a way of being centered and restoring patients, our emotional reserve, uh, our energy, I think now's the time and I know it's challenging depending on where you live. But I don't think there's anywhere in this country where you, you don't have some opportunity to do something physical as a way of managing and optimizing your stress response.
0: I think there is an opportunity to really reframe, especially in the world of health and fitness, specifically in training, that we've always looked at training and fitness with an endpoint or a data point in mind of like, I wanna get stronger by X amount, I wanna lose X amount of body fat percentage. And I think this is an opportunity to really showcase and highlight the benefits of exercise that are not based on that, that combining physical activity with a little meditation and the impact it has on depression and stress and anxiety and like working out, for that end in mind and working out because I'm stre- I'm going to work out to reduce my stress right now or work out to r- reduce my depression symptoms or anxiety, I think is so powerful because we've gotten so caught up in this loop of, of framing training and exercise solely for the physical changes that it could create as opposed to what it's doing for us psychologically. And so I think for a lot of people. It's getting out of your head, connecting to your body, filling your breath, pushing your body a little bit will, is so beneficial at a time like this. And so I love you bringing that up because I think that's something I've really been thinking about a lot lately is shifting people's perspective and mindset around exercise as just physical and looking at it from a psychological perspective.
1: I had a therapist once who told me that, I mean, speaking of me specifically, she was like, <laughs> Angela, you're always in your head. And like every time you have any problem, like of any kind, you um, like go right to your head, right? Right. Like, and I, I like looked at her completely confused. I was like, I don't What do you mean? Where else would I go? Like my appendix? Like you want (laughs) to go to my elbow? And she, you know, very patient therapist, like, you know, finally got me to understand that, you know, we're not just brains like walking around on a toothpick, right? Like we are our bodies. And I do think that you're you're exactly right that like if you can, you know, get into these like physical things. And and for some of us who are like, you know, nonstop reading social media or the newspaper and like, you know, just wringing our hands over the uncertainty, like literally just going on a run and maybe not listening to the news and just like listening to music. Yes. Or like my husband has us watching stand up comedy like before we go to bed. It's not on topic. It has just like it's just great just like get out of yeah. get out of your own worries for a little Absolutely.
0: bit Absolutely we're so out of control and everything's out of control at the moment but the one th- what we can control right now is what we view what we listen to and what we watch and so i think if you can control that if you, if you know you're caused stress by watching the stock market right now don't watch the stock market right, give yourself yeah. maybe you know once twice a week that you're checking in with it unless you have to watch it daily but i just think being able to control the inputs that we're having right now can be a really powerful tool to help us kind of get through this and I, that's a great point watching comedy is something i love to do too it's very mindless and just kind of gets you to get out of your head a little bit
1: uh laughter is a pretty good uh, antidote to a lot of
0: things. I 100% do the same thing. I My wife will even call it out. She's like, whoa, you're in your head right now. You need to go, you know, go move or something. Because I'm just sitting there and I'm like staring into the wall. My brain's just going a million miles an hour. What are some good signs to recognize that you're maybe doing that? And then what are some tools maybe people can have to like help them kind of get out of their mind and into their body a little bit?
1: Well, one thing you just said, which is that your loved ones might be pointing out um, now that your loved ones have, you know, the opportunity to observe you 24 <laughs> hours a day, like the things that you may not be noticing yourself. So I think it's really important that, you know, when whoever it is, I mean, usually the first response to somebody saying like that is defensiveness, which is fine and totally normal. But like after you're defensive, then maybe you could listen. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. Like are, are people who are living with you, you know, noticing like you're irritable or crazy? Or that like everything Mm -hmm. you say is negative and complaining. And uh, so be defensive for a little while. And then, you know, as as fast as you can, um, really listen. I think that's important. For me, it's just kind of obvious, right? So I've never been a great sleeper. But I am really not sleeping well. Like, you know, waking up at two in the morning and just like, just, it's just like you're on and you want to not be on, but you are. So I guess the question would be then, what do you do, right? If your loved one is telling you, like, hey, you're in your head and you're like, you know, this isn't really good, or if you just know yourself from, from obvious um, observations that you've made personally. One thing that's been uh, helpful to me is like, I ask people like you or I Google it, right? Like, <laughs> like I, Googled, like, I'm waking up in the middle of the night, like, you know, what do I do? And I, you know, found good advice. And so, you know, we are able to, I think, seek out like just common sense advice from, from other people, as long as we take that first step, which is to acknowledge that there's something we need advice about in the first place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I start to notice that I start to try to get control things like I'm a backseat driver, or I'm chiming in on like, why don't you cook it that way or things that I someone trying to do something and I'm telling them they can do it better. I think I start to realize, like, I'm just looking for things to control because I'm out of control. So I just need to check in with that a little bit and I'll do a little like breathing and I'll I'll just meditate on that for a second or whatever and then check back in. But I think that is really helpful to kind of mitigate some of the, you know, relationship impact we can have. We're all way closer to each other today than we, we normally are.
1: <laughs> I can relate to a lot, you know, the basic human need for control is very strong, right? And one of the most powerful and negative things you can do is to remove control. It's really, really, really hard to deal with lack of predictability and lack of control. And I do think that so many of us are like just you know, channeling that need for control in understandable ways. Uh, Like, let me tell you how to make dinner or like, let me show you how to pour the orange juice that ultimately aren't really adaptive. But for so many things, you know, understanding why you're doing things, understanding that to some extent it's natural, but also realizing, like you said, you can Change some of those things, right? You're like, oh, there I go, trying to create a little control in my life. You know, like maybe I won't do it this way.
0: <laughs> yeah. People will will inherently find themselves right now being really negative. And I think that behavior, you know, they're feeling something different about themselves as what they're projecting on others. And I think that outcome is important to trace back to really what the problem may be. And I think for a lot of people right now, their behavior is like tracing back to some form of stress or, or lack of control or anxiety they're feeling about what we're, what circumstance we're in.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's something that I started doing and I've always done it, but you know, I, I find that it's especially helpful now. So the three blessings exercise, or sometimes it's called the three good things exercise, it draws your attention to three good things that happened in the last 24 hours. And they can be Big things, like I'm really happy that my 85-year-old mother is healthy, knock on wood. I'm really happy – these are all true, by the way – that the stove that (laughs) I have in my kitchen, which is chronically broken, like it's just always being repaired, like – it hasn't broken in the last few weeks. Like, thank goodness, because I have to cook every day. You know, and a third thing would be like, you know, I'm really glad that I got to go on a walk with my husband, right? So those would be like three good things. And the reason why this exercise reliably increases happiness and well-being is that our attention naturally goes to negative things. That's the way human attention has evolved. We, we scan the horizon for threats and predators. And if, if, for example, you got one negative comment on your podcast, like, I am sure that it would... Be disproportionately (laughs) occupying your attention compared to like 99 positive comments. So that's the way human attention is. And the three blessings exercise draws your attention to what can be overlooked or ignored. Like, hey, my stove works. Hey, my mom's alive and healthy. Like, hey, you know, it was a really nice walk and it was a really sunny day and I got to hear about my husband's day. So I've been trying to do that more. I said when I woke up in the morning, I take a cat stretch. And for a lot of people, it's good to have a habit of doing the three blessings exercise in a moment like like right before you get out of bed. I mean, really only takes Mm. about 30 seconds and it just puts you in a good frame of mind and it doesn't distort anything. It's just reminding you or drawing your attention to the good things that were happening, but you were ignoring them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What are some other tools like for the moment and circumstance we're in right now that you think would be beneficial for a majority of people listening?
1: Well, one thing I'll say is that um, some people are finding it useful to do the three blessings exercise while you're washing your hands, because at some point you get sick of singing happy birthday twice. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. And like 20 <laughs> seconds is a really long time. <laughs> it so is. so you could think of like, you know, and you could say like, wait a second, I've got to wash my hands more than once a day. And I'm like, right. So now you can think of three other good things. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so that technique is called habit piggybacking, where you do like you have two routines and you're piggyback one on the other. So you can piggyback. Back doing the three blessings exercise onto your twenty seconds of, of hand washing, you know. So that's that's one thing. Um, the second thing is, I think people are looking at screens too much these days. Like it's mm. there's a point at which, like you know, when you're in your ninth hour of Zoom calls, or you know, and and now we're we're also like reading the news on our phones or on our computers. And I I really think that looking away from the screen is really important. You know, you can Google it, but there's you know like eye strain and and headaches, but I think if you can think of the things that you're doing on screen and say, look, these I have to do on the screen, but these maybe I'll put on my um, AirPods and like take this as a phone call and like walk around the block for half an hour as opposed to sit in my chair and stare at the screen for another half an hour. So so where you can make those, you know, slight adjustments, I think you should. And and myself, like I've been like everyone else, like trying to figure it out. And, you know, for a while, like my back was really not happy. Um, and you know, my eyes are, and so I I've made these slight calibrations and I won't say it's perfect, but I, but I do think it's helping.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree. And I also think too, like one of the things I've been recommending to people is just practicing like Anytime you feel like you're judging yourself or on, on any action or any lack of doing something, I think just practicing giving yourself a little bit of grace. I think if you can only get in five minutes of exercise today and you plan for an hour, practicing no judgment right now, I think we just need to be a little bit kinder to ourselves. And even with my athletes, you know, who are like, I usually train two hours and I'm only getting 30 and I don't, I'm tired, my energy's low. It's like, but yeah, you're stuck inside. I mean, we, I just think we just have to practice a little bit of some grace, you know?
1: I've heard this and I believe it's true. Like when we also say these things, like, for example, if you do have a Twitter account or you're on Facebook and, you know, I have found that like, even if you're not great at self-compassion, when you share with other people, like, oh my gosh, like, somehow 24 hours passed and I took 191 steps, like here's a picture of my pedometer. Like (laughs) I just was not able to get out of the dumps today. I think what you'll find is that people rush to your side and say like, me too, or like, you know, like, thank you for keeping it real. Or, you know, like social media isn't always great, but I think we're now in a circumstance where yay for being able to get the compassion from, from other people
0: hundred percent. I mean, even you being vulnerable with sharing, you know, where you're coming from, what you're struggling with, you know, you're the world's foremost expert on, you know, grit and resilience. And I think just hearing from you that you struggle too is is helpful. You know, I was talking to an athlete. They were like, we can't be like you and just eat good all the time. I'm like, I had five bowls of cereal yesterday. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Like, I am not eating good at all. And I haven't worked out in three days. Like, let's all just relax. You know, it's not everyone's struggling too. So we're all in the same boat. But no, that's, that's a great point. Something you can improve over time.
1: I would love to um, also direct folks to something which is free that you don't have to buy. So I have a nonprofit called Character Lab. And if you're interested in developing the skill sets and mindsets of grit, but also gratitude or curiosity, proactivity, these are all things that psychologists would agree that you can become, that you don't have to just be, you can become. And you can see resources from scientists, including me, on the Internet, and it's all paid for by philanthropy so it's um it's nothing you have to buy
0: that's amazing yeah no please everybody go check that out do you think that the situation we're in right now will change people's mindsets in the long run like even after it's over because i know it's being compared right now to you know there's there's talk of like great depression and recession and but the great depression that's a generation that had what was known as a really incredibly tough mindset and why do you think people's attitudes change in hardship
1: it's a great question. I don't have an answer. You know, I can't say um, that I have a lot of confidence about, you know, knowing how this is all going to play out as a psychologist. But I do think one thing has changed since the Great Depression. And that is, I think, frankly, because of, you know, people like you, maybe to some extent, scientists like me, there is a, a, a kind of sophistication that we have about psychology and mental well-being and resilience and optimizing performance that just didn't exist uh, at the time of the great depression, right? Like we've made real progress. Um, so just like, you know, the internet didn't exist, you know, during the great depression and Google didn't exist in the great depression, computers didn't exist the way they do now. But I think there have been great leaps forward in the technology of, you know, human behavior. Um, and, and I hope that that is part of a story that, that says like, you know, we came out of this faster than anybody thought and you know, huge lessons were learned. And, uh, in some ways, you know, we are as Nietzsche said, right. And Nietzsche was the yeah. 19th century philosopher who said, <laughs> what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, but maybe more than ever, you know, what doesn't kill us will make us stronger.
0: Absolutely. could not agree with that more. What can we do that will help us become stronger individually through this?
1: You know I think the people who are gonna really thrive during this crisis are gonna be the people who figure out a way on a daily basis to uh, be helpful to other people right and um I need to do this more, but you know for example, as um you know on a call with a, a friend she's like, "Oh I have to go grocery shopping for my neighbor who's seventy right and wow. you know she emailed me her list and I'm gonna get it and I to leave it at her doorstep and I was like, huh." Why haven't I done that? I, mm-hmm. I have lots of people in my neighborhood who I could run an errand for or just even like, you know, text and say like, you know, how are you? Or like, you know, you know, do you need a walking buddy? Because like I can call you and you could take a walk and I could take a walk. The people who are going to thrive during this crisis are going to be the ones who not only are being resilient and, um, you know, having the right skill sets and mindsets for themselves. The people who are going to thrive are the ones who are going to find a way on a daily basis to be helpful to other people.
0: When all else fails, when you have no idea what to do, just think, how can I be a service to somebody else? Um, If people do feel themselves slightly becoming a bit pessimistic or defeatist in the moment um, and just have felt like that's kind of come on in waves over the past few weeks, how can you kind of change that trajectory or, or reverse that course?
1: A lot of therapists will tell you that, you know, the three steps in therapy are name what you're feeling acknowledge that you're feeling it, sit with it, um, instead of running away and then put it in perspective. So even just being able to name out loud. And I was, you know, with my own family saying like, okay, at dinner, you could just say, okay, scale from zero to 10 how stressed are you, right? And you'll find nobody's a zero, but also, you know, very few people are truly a 10, right? When 10 is like the most stressed out a human being could possibly be. So it names it stress, right? Or anxious, mm. whatever you want to say. But you also kind of realize that you're not quite as bad. So it it kind of helps you with that third step of, putting it in perspective, right? Because you realize there are points on the scale that you're not using. So if you're stressed out and you start eating a lot, right? Cause that helps you manage your feelings. Like mm-hmm. that is going to actually create another problem. Cause now you're going to like stressed out and then you're gonna be like, Oh my God, I gained 10 pounds. And like, <laughs> you know, my knees hurt. Cause like now when I go right. So I, I would just recommend that when you name how you're feeling and you acknowledge it, you sit with it. Instead of running away or, you know, doing something to cope with it that's unhealthy, just sit with it. Be like, hmm, I am a six out of ten on stress. <laughs> and then you put it in perspective, like, wow, you know, I'm not a ten out of ten. You know, stress is a normal and adaptive human mechanism. If you're not stressed, you're not human. Yes. And there are ways that human beings can optimize our responses in, in these really difficult times.
0: I love it. I think that's the perfect place to, to stop. So thank you, Angela. I like I can't thank you enough for taking the time and sharing everything you shared. I think so many people will get so much out of this, including selfishly myself. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, this has helped helped me a lot. So thank you for your time.
1: Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and I love that you're doing this for um, everyone who's listening.
0: I don't know if it's just me, but every time I talk with Angela, I feel like I actually gain a little more grit. Or maybe I always had it, but now I know how to tap into it. I'm also amazed at how much more we had to talk about, with this being my second interview with Angela. For me, this says that grit is one of those foundational concepts that's always applicable and always changing. The world gives us new problems, and we come back with new ways to get through them. Join me next week when I'll be calling up online trainer and health coach, Kelsey Heenan, to talk about how we can all keep moving even when we have to stay put. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests, or a topic you'd like to see covered, email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. Talk to you soon. thanks for listening to trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide, it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. And the individual opinions expressed here are just that opinions. They shouldn't be taken as fact.